The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Today's guest is Tim Sackett, the president of HRU Technical Resources. He was a keynote speaker at this fall's NERA conference, and we recorded this podcast at the conference. Tim is so provocative, and this will come through in this podcast discussion. He really got the NERA audience thinking differently about our function. And we, in this conversation, drilled down on a couple of those areas where he was most provocative. Very enjoyable to talk to and listen to. Next up on the podcast is Siobhan McHale, the Executive General Manager of People, Culture, and Change at Dulux Group in Australia. And now, our conversation with Tim Sackett. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was great to see your keynote speech yesterday, and I got to get involved in a hug with you. <laughs> What's this hug thing come? What's this all about with you? You know, I, it was from a blog post. I wrote this post, and it went viral. So actually, the CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner, I mean, now like everybody can write articles on LinkedIn and stuff like that. But remember when it was just certain. Um, like oh, LinkedIn yes. insiders or influencers or whatever they had. The only ones that could publish. There was only like 12 people and it was him, Obama, Richard Branson, like yes. big names. And right. so very few pieces of content were on LinkedIn and somehow somebody at LinkedIn was a follower of my blog, read the hugging post and sent it to him and then he published it on LinkedIn and it went <laughs> crazy. So I'm literally getting calls from like San Diego, like radio zoo, like morning zoo shows going, hey, we have Tim Zackett on the line. He's the world's foremost expert in workplace hugs. And, and so it's like your 15 minutes of fame, you know? Well, you made it fun yesterday, that's for sure, you and Tracy. One of the things that you mentioned that just caught me, when you're looking at talent acquisition and greatness, yeah. we know it when we see it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, that's what our hiring managers always think. We give them resumes and we have candidates and they just go, oh, just keep sending and keep sending and keep sending. Like there's this endless funnel of talent out there that we can just keep sending because I'll know it when I see it. And really that's the exact opposite of how we should be doing, right? Yeah. Tell us exactly what you're looking for. And I think primarily what happens though is because what they're looking for is really a mirror, right? They're looking mm -hmm. for somebody like them. They have this image in their mind of what that might be. And, you know, it's some of that built-in kind of implicit bias that we have as well. And it's really everybody, right? We're more likely to hire the person that we're most comfortable with, mm. right? And so when we start hearing those kinds of things like, oh, I'll know it when I see it, that should be a red flag for us to go, hey, let, let's break down the position of what we really need. Right. And then we will find you those things instead of going, wait a minute, what's what's this thing? The reality is just a really big, you know, lie. In fact, Malcolm Gladwell had just launched his brand new book. Mm. And he talks about how we are predisposed to trust everything we hear. So like if we're in an interview and I'm a hiring manager and you're telling me all this stuff, my predisposition is to first trust you. And what, what he found, the research has found, is that we're really, really bad at mm. judging and being able to determine if someone's lying to us. Mm. You know, To really determine what greatness is, you better determine exactly what those kinds of things should be because we can't just see it. Mm. I mean, someone might be super sharp and be really great in an interview and we go, oh, they're going to be great. No, you have no idea. Right, right. <laughs> We usually start the podcast to have our audience get a sense of who I'm interviewing yeah. and where they came from. Yeah. As you look back on your life, is there a point you can think about, you look back on it now and say, that really put me on a different trajectory. That yeah. was a real influential moment or time in my life 
that got me going in this path yeah. where you are today? Oh, completely. There's probably multiple, but I think the biggest one when it comes to why I'm here talking on a podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> or why I'm here at NARA. I was running talent acquisition for Applebee's. And so huge company, 125,000 employees, 2,000 restaurants. And we got bought out by another company. And so there's a lot of transition going on. I had a headhunter call me about a head of TA position at a large health system in Michigan. My kid's in school. So I was like, well, probably should make the jump, right? I don't really want to move. You could see the writing on the wall down the road that there was going to be change, right? Mm-hmm. So I went from a really young, like the average age at Applebee's was like 26 years old. They, it was dynamic. It the was average innovative. age. Average age of 125,000 employees. 26. But what, what that does is a lot of change, a lot of like just fast pace. When I went to the health system of a 10,000 employee company, the average age was 46. And so huge difference. And then also just from a dynamic. It was a culture shock for you. Culture shock. The CEO, when I went to work at the health system, used to run HR when it was called personnel and still had this belief that he knew more about HR than everybody else. And I was running talent acquisition and I came in with a really dynamic kind of sense of what talent acquisition was. And so we didn't necessarily see eye to eye. So I'm sitting in this job and it's one of those things where you instantly kind of know, I probably made a wrong decision, right? <laughs> like, this is going to be tough. Not, not that I can't do it. Not that I get along with everybody. So I'm not, I can make this work. Right, you're adaptable, you know? creative. Yeah. Right, right. It was one of those companies where, like, I sat next to the head of HR in my office. We're together. And uh, I coach baseball. I have three sons. And, and I had told them through the interview process, hey, you know, in the spring, I got to leave early sometimes because I'm going to go do co-. And he And he was very good. He's like, oh, yeah, go, go, go. Yeah. You know, no problem at all. He was a workaholic guy. So he would get there at 7 in the morning. Usually wouldn't leave till 7 o'clock mm-hmm. at night. Well, what I didn't understand was all of his rec reports. So there was about five of us. They would wait for him to leave at 7 o'clock at night before they would leave. Wow. There was that culture. And so when I started leaving, like at 4.30 or 5 or during whatever. Baseball get, during, during baseball right. season. The next morning they'd come in there like, hey. Just want to let you know, you better be careful. You know, you're going to get let go because you're, you know, you're not working hard enough. And so I went right into his office. You're right, like, right. Hey, what's going on? You know, but it was that culture. Right, right. So one day I'm sitting there, I'm researching something on the internet and I find a blog in HR. And this is a decade ago. And there was very, very few blogs at that point, mm-hmm. let alone in HR. I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was Chris Dunn's, the HR capitalist blog. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow, this guy is writing on the internet. Like, I, I'm thinking in my head, but in a political environment, could never say this. So, What kinds of things was he writing? Like, sometimes we allow the process to run us versus really understanding the business or all kinds. I mean, yeah. and, and he writes in a very entertaining, snarky kind of way, mm-hmm. right? On the blog, there was like an about him kind of thing, and there was an email address. And so I just sent him an email. Hey, I just want to say I, I read your blog, and I really like what you're saying. I don't know how many people read this. You know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. I don't know how much feedback you get. And we're, I mean, we're best friends now. I tease him so bad about this. And uh, he instantly replied back. So now I knew no one read his blog. right? <laughs> <laughs> and so he literally sent me his number and called me. So I literally spent an hour and a half on the phone with him. And it was one of those things where instantly I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my brother from another mother, right? It was a connection. I want to do what he does right now. We spoke the same language. Right, right. And so he said, oh, have you ever thought about writing? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I don't consider myself a writer at all. Like I hated writing in college. Yeah. I probably hadn't written since college besides emails. <laughs> and so he goes, no, you should. You should really write. I have this new blog coming out called Fistful of Talent, and it's multi-contributor, and you don't you only have to write once or twice a month or whatever. He's like, so write me a couple of things. And so 
you know, I don't really know him yet. I got show right. him how, I got to show him I'm smart and I know HR and I got chops. So I did some FMLA, long, boring thing. And then I did one because I had just left Applebee's. Every time you did something, you got a shirt or a jacket or a bag, like logo gear, right? right, right. Like it was constant swag. Constant swag. <laughs> and so I had a closet full of swag. And uh, my post was, where does corporate logo wear go to die? <laughs> And because he goes to Goodwill, but then you never see people walking around with like an Applebee's jacket with Tim on it, right? Like, <laughs> and so the gist of the post was I was on safari in Africa. Some guy's walking at me with my jacket on. I'm like, Applebee's, Tim, that's mine. <laughs> and so he goes, hey, always write like that. Never, ever send me like another the, the FMLA, FMLA book. <laughs> that's awful. And so for about two, for about two years, I got, I got the Friday slot at Fistful of Talent. It was sold to me as... Friday, people just want something to laugh at, just make fun, like have a good time with it. What they didn't tell me was in the blog world, Friday is the worst slot to have because that's where content goes to die. Because then the weekend happened and no one reads. And then Monday, it's all new it's content. Re- it's a refresh. Yeah. Restart. You want to be the Monday slot because then you have all week for people to read. <laughs> right. And they never told me that. I didn't know enough. <laughs> so for two years, I'm writing on Friday. And finally, another friend of mine, Lori Rudiman, who's going to keynote near next year. Oh, great. And she goes, Tim they're killing you on this Friday thing. You got to tell them to move you to Monday. <laughs> and she explained the whole thing. And I was like, ah, come on, Chris. But then Chris is like, hey, you have so much to say and you're so prolific mm-hmm. as a writer. You just need to have your own blog. And so I still do both. Still write at Fistful of Talent about once or twice a month, but mm-hmm. I write on my own blog every single day. I've been doing that about eight years. So, right, yeah. right. That's great. What are some of the great things going on in, in the recruiting function today that people might want to try yeah what are some of the things that you're doing or your clients are doing that yeah. are just really effective strategies that maybe people weren't doing five ten years ago. oh yeah i mean well the biggest thing we talk when we hear constantly is this artificial intelligence and i think we hear a lot about it but it's also confusing mm. i think we've gotten to the point with technology that and i'll say this conservatively i can get rid of 90 percent of sources in the world and replace it with technology right now Right? You have really great sourcing software right now that sources better than almost everybody. And so what you have is a very small number of really true, in-the-weeds, super geeky sourcers. And I love those people. But they're the people who really go out into the Internet and find people. Right? They, they really know how to find people. Mm-hmm. And then the most of the people that I find, like if I go into a corporation and they have you mm-hmm. know, 10 sourcers, I will say nine out of 10 are really just spending most of their day on LinkedIn sending mm-hmm. in mails. That's not sourcing. Right. I can have a bot do that. You have technology that will, will go out, look at your jobs, scrape your jobs, will then actually take your jobs, go out and actually source candidates. You have another piece of technology, artificial intelligence, that will actually screen those people lightly mm-hmm. and find out if they're interested. And at the, in the next morning, a recruiter comes in and they have this ranked list of, hey, here's five people who are actually interested in this job. Spend time there, right? Right. Now, so if I speed have up that, the process. Oh my, well, it's speeded up. I mean, if I have that, I don't really need majority of sourcers unless I have one of those super sourcers. What are the super sourcers doing? So if you want to be a super sourcer, yeah, what's your advice? I mean, they're building to- Boolean search strings that have 700 characters. One of the guys I know, he'll literally go into the, like the U.S. Patent Office because he's trying to find like high-tech scientists, whatever that might be. He builds searches that will go through these patents and find people that are doing this and then reach out and have these conversations. They're not like looking at databases. The real sourcing stuff is those people who are going out and saying, 
where are people on the internet that there's no there's nobody else they're going to the githubs or they're going to conferences you know we're at a conference and if you dig into a lot of conference sites still they'll say oh here's all the attendees you know and they're then they're going through and looking at that so if you know hey i'm looking for a data scientist and there's a data science conference it's almost like an, an investigative person, right? For Somebody sure. that can do the investigations. Yeah. yeah. And then have the ability to actually get those people to respond a little bit, right? And, right. Then, and then know when to hand them off to a recruiter. You know, when we take a look at that, I would say over the next like three years, the role of a corporate recruiter is going to change drastically because of that. Mm-hmm. But again, much more focused on, hey, hey, here's who to spend the actual time with. Right. And a lot of the stuff that we do now that is basically just reaching out to candidates to find out if they're interested, technology is going to do the he- right. most of that. One of the things you said yesterday that struck me, you gave advice to the HR crowd and you said, see a lot of demos, see a lot of technology demos, yeah. not just what recruiting, all mm-hmm. HR technology. And I, I forget how many you said, it's hundreds of demos. That I'll do about you, 150 a year. Now. 150 yeah. demos a year. So this is a great opportunity for our <laughs> listeners. What's the most exciting stuff that you've seen? There's about 20,000 pieces of HR technology in the world right now. 20,000. And most God. people, if you would ask them, they would say, oh, 500, 1,000, whatever, the landscape is, is so wide, so vast. And, there, and again, there's brand new pieces of technology coming on the market every single day. Right. So you have to take a look at the last five to eight years. Um, the pain point in, in all of HR has been talent acquisition. So mm-hmm. most of the money, I mean, billions of dollars a year have gone into to talent acquisition technology, right? And so it's every part of that landscape from sourcing to trying to figure out how do we get better quality, mm-hmm. you know, all the chatbot stuff, all the AI stuff even scheduling software. Again, that's always a pain point for a lot of HR shops. We're the third party between a hiring manager and a candidate and how do we do all we this get stuff? all these people And now there's yeah. completely automated systems that you, you just go set these two people up or set these five people up with, with an interview and it automatically does it. You never have to deal with it. So there, there's just really cool stuff about that. I think on the data side though, people are understanding that within HR we have so much data. So mm-hmm. we have like our core HR systems and we have our payroll systems and we have recruiting, learning, performance and when you start to pull all of that data together and the data and start crunching all that data it really becomes they're doing a lot of prescriptive stuff ultimate software bought a a piece of software about three years ago called canjoya that will literally predict when someone's going to turn over in your environment and it's scary accurate it's like 85 87 percent accurate imagine a green flag like there's no issue yellow flag we're kind of concerned right it's it's public it's information they have about the employees but it's also public information yeah right like oh it's scanning the environment right yeah i I read that it said something about if there was a a merger acquisition change all kinds of things that happen right right i mean literally it's thousands of data points that you come together so as a human you would never be able to comprehend all of that right Think about when you change your LinkedIn profile. It's usually when you get a promotion or when you're looking to for a new So job. that would be a factor that adds so that, up. So that pops right. up, right? Right, right. But they're actually measuring all of the work products. So every email you send, you might just be having a conversation. Like they'll say, David, you and I work together. I'm frustrated with my boss and you know, I'm just sharing with you and we're going back and forth. There's certain things that it would pop up. Now again, it's a little big brothery though, right? It is a little big brother, yeah. but again, it's a realization of this is all work product, right? The company right. owns all of this, right? And again, they're not bubbling up to a, a manager to say, "Oh, this person's talking about you," right, right? right? This is all behind the scenes, just saying, "Hey, by the way, David just turned red." 
And in the next 90 days, there's an 85% chance that, that he's going to leave. So it allows us now to have like safe strategies. How do we go out and make sure, right. hey, David, what's going on here? Let's have a conversation. Let's talk. You and, bring the report you know, and says, it says, yeah. <laughs> but, says there's an 85% well, chance so you're about to leave. What they actually do is they the software then actually prescribes what you should do, what you uh, should be saying as a leader. Here's some of the conversations or questions, you should be having. questions you can ask. The, based on the data, they can probably give some insights to why do we think this person might be leaving, right? right? Right. Do they feel like there's no potential for them to move up in the company? Yeah. And so let's talk about their career path. Right. Or do they feel like they had a big project that just got canceled and so they're kind That's, of scared about their next move? You know, these software companies now have teams of PhD scientists that are that are doing this. We're, Can you give me one more, Tim? Um, Alio is, is a piece of recruiting technology that I love right now. So it's A-L-L-Y-O. What they found was... When someone applies to a job, and let's say you have a job opening and 25 people apply, the normal recruiter, real human recruiter, will go through those 25 really quickly. They'll reach out to a handful. Whoever replies back, then they'll screen, and then those go on to the manager. And they'll go to the manager and say, here's the best people that applied. No, that's not really true, right? The only people that actually replied to me of the one that oh, oh, I right, picked, right, right, right? right. So right. I already had my own biases that I picked. So I took right. 25 down to 10. And these people replied. Three people applied. Yeah. I screened them and sent them to you. Right, right. What Alio found was that if you actually take the human out of that and have software interact with all 25 and go through the process, out of those 25, you'll have a different set that comes back and, and they rank as well. Mm -hmm. And then you send those on. You know, again, it's a little bit faster because mm -hmm. you have technology to do it. Right. 100% of the people got engaged, which is a better candidate experience. Mm -hmm. So what they found ultimately was you need half the actual candidates. So instead of mm -hmm. 25, you could have gotten 12 and still found the great, that same kind of level of candidate. We always think as HR and recruiting people that we don't have bias. It's always the hiring managers. It's always everybody else. We have our own bias, right? right. We take a look at something and we might go, oh, I'm not going to put that person because I know my hiring manager doesn't like gaps in resumes and that person has a gap in the resume, so we're not even going to contact them. Mm. But the hiring manager might look at that and say, I, I don't like gaps in resumes, but that's the perfect one. Now, the software doesn't look at that at all. And so you, I, what I hear from a lot of like HR leaders and, and TA leaders is that like, well, we just need more candidates. We need more candidates. And what Alio says is you don't need more candidates. You just need to engage with 100% of the people that want to, even those people that you think are completely not the person for the job. Still engage with them because hmm. you don't know how that might turn out. They might go, oh, my gosh, that was super cool. That you know, I know I didn't even fit, but at least they acknowledged me. Right. The one thing every candidate hates is that black hole like this. Tim, talk about your business. What you yeah. do when you're not blogging and speaking right. on yeah, the circuit I and know. interviewing 150 <laughs> technology yeah. demos. Yeah. So I run an IT engineering staffing firm out of Michigan. We do national search. We have about 250 folks with the company. We, I think we have people in about 17, 18 different states right now. So mm. we kind of go nationwide. Yeah. And a lot of it is is companies that take us with them, right? So mechanical, electrical, manufacturing quality, it's stuff within the manufacturing environment. I mean, mm. we come out of the Midwest, so it's kind of some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. We found that we do really well in that environment. Our, our recruiters know that stuff really well. What happens is you work with one company, maybe they're based in Indiana, but they have plants in 17 different states, you right, know? Right, right. And so then they go, oh, can you find someone in Alabama? Right. Recruiting's recruiting. We can right. find people anywhere. Right. So, yeah. That's great. You know, the economy's been improving or growing for, it seems like, about 10 years, right? We're, sure. we're about a decade. Yeah. In this market, in the Boston area, Area, I'm having HR recruiters tell me there's unnatural acts happening in the recruiting world. Like where we're bringing in people, we have to pay them more than people that we already have for the same roles. I'm wondering what you're seeing with that. How does that impact 
the culture of organizations, the work you do. Organizations have to be very careful right now, right? Because yeah. you can really get yourself in some trouble. I mean, it's a fact that the market moves super fast, usually faster than your compensation team wants it to move. It doesn't matter. So if I have to hire somebody in that is making 10,000 more than the rest of the team, I got to make an adjustment to the rest of the team or I really put myself at an issue, potentially right. of getting a lawsuit and stuff like that. So, right. so it is difficult. Um, you know, the thing that we see every single day I have companies calling me saying, we need to hire 50 IT people. And you know, they say, oh, that's awesome, great. Can't wait to work with you. Let's go through all this stuff. And we'll go through the normal, like, okay, so what's the job and where's the location and what's the pay? And they constantly are trying to find a bargain. And I'm like, how long have you been trying to find these people? Oh my God, all year. Well, I'm not gonna be able to find them either. <laughs> I'm not a magician. I can't magically come up with a Java developer that wants to make $60,000 a year. You know, it's not going sometimes to Sometimes there's just math involved here, right? And I think sometimes it takes us turning that business down for them to realize, oh crap, because mm -hmm. you're never going to find those people. Right, right. But a lot of the organizations are like, we already built four or five and they're not senior enough. We need senior people. Well, then you're going to have to pay for those. And right. It's just that realization that that has to happen. Can you tell the wheelchair story? <laughs> so when we started really measuring and taking what um, great HR looked like or what those people that had great HR, what did they do differently than someone that was average, right? Mm. I think most people would take a look at HR and if you said, give us words that describe HR, one of those words would be no. Right? Like, no, you can't do that. No, you're wrong. No. Like, it's just no, 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 no. And there's a negative reaction to that word no, right? And we found that the great HR people said yes. And so I always give an example of a hiring manager comes to you, right? So Mary's the hiring manager. And Mary comes in your office and goes, I want to fire Alice. What are you going to say? Now, let me give you some background on Alice, right? So Alice is a black female over 40 in a wheelchair that in the last five performance reviews have all been average. That's all you know. But Mary wants to fire Alice. An average HR manager would go, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. A great HR manager would go like, yeah, right now, let's go. Now, before we go, I'm going to call the legal team because we're going to get an EOC charge on this. <laughs> but it's okay. We can fight this. We've been there before. We'll help you. And then that manager goes, no, no, no. I don't want to go to court. Like, come on. So then you go, okay, well, here's, here's how I can help you. Let's, let's work together. But it's always about the, the yes brings them to you, right? You know what cracked me up when you said it yesterday? Don't worry. No, I, when you're in court, I'll be yeah. there cheering you yeah. on. Oh, I'll, yeah, be in yeah. The, yeah. I'll be in the gallery. Uh -huh. I'm like, <laughs> but it's the, no, it's the no versus yes. And then people go, oh, it's yes, but. You know, that's the same thing. And I'm like, I never said but. I said yes and, right? right. It's again, it, it, the difference between saying no and having them go, oh, it's yeah. the same old HR. Right. You're the same, it's what I expected you to say. And I needed help right now. I need to get rid of this person. Okay, right. let's talk about yes this. And. Yes and. My job in HR is not to eliminate risk. My job is to mitigate risk and advise of risk. And so I could sit there and say, hey, there's a 95% chance that we will get an EOC charge. If you want to move forward on this, and the legal team and our executive teams are all on board, that this is a we're, the right we're, decision. Then we're doing it, right? right? I'm not going to stand in the way of this. My job is not to eliminate risk. It's just to advise of risk. Because I think when we try to act like we're the eliminators of risk is when we get that negative perception right. from our executives on HR. It's not our job. Our job right. is to go to them and say, hey, by the way, totally on board with what you guys want to do. Understand probably 30% chance that, that, might, that this might go bad. I was almost the close of your talk yesterday. You talked about professional fear. How HR can help their team and yeah. people in the organization overcome that professional fear. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by this and what 
HR leaders can do to help their organization deal with this in an effective way. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of those traits, you know, that great HR people show is like this this level of fearlessness that we don't see out of normal people, um, and it comes across in the fact that they're probably willing to make a stand on some things. They're probably willing to get up in a meeting with cross-functional kinds of leaders and speak their mind. Mm. They're not going to hold that back. The question I have is if you're an HR leader, how do you how do you help your team understand that they can also do those kinds of things mm. in a way that they, that they shouldn't fear that they're going to lose their job? So one of the things I've done with my own team is is I would ask them to manage up to a person above me, right? To like my boss or even my boss's boss and send an email. But I would say, hey, before you send it, send it to me. And I just, I just want to give you some feedback on it. But you're going to send it. You're not going to copy me. It's just between you and them. And again, it could be a, a just like, hey, I want to let you know about a project or something like that. And you and you can't believe how fearful they are to send something to like the CEO or a CFO or someone like that, even though it might be something benign as just an update on a project. They're still like, well, you this, you should send this right. because I don't, you know. And you're like, no, 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 you need to send this right, and you need to send it in a way that they know that you're smart, that you're on top of it, because down the road if some, your name comes up in front of that CFO for maybe another position or something like that you want them to have a great oh my a you great know what example. I know Tina like she sent me this message and I, she seems like a smart gal and we should you know think about her so those are things I think that leaders can do mm. and we talked about that um, in terms of also kind of exercising influence and how do you how do you gain influence as a leader and part of that is, is putting your team in those positions where mm. they can let themselves shine right and that you're not taking like the control of it right, right. I think you said something about failure you know, yeah like, don't put people in places where they're gonna fail and yep. failure doesn't breed good results so find small ways to improve their confidence and for sure it. Tim we do this podcast in cooperation with Nera at Keystone yeah. and we have the Nera emerging HR professionals question of the podcast it comes right. from Kristen Parsons she's at Charles River laboratory she's a senior manager of corporate internal communications and she says what piece of career advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, you know, the one thing I think um, that we never want to do as, as young people, and I get a chance to go and talk at colleges and high schools a lot, is that we want to try to do it on our own. We don't want to leverage our networks, especially with our parents. And the reality is, is you have to use every piece of your network that you can. I, I look at LinkedIn profiles of new college grads, and they'll have you know, hardly any connections. They're just like, well, I don't know very many people professionally. I'm like, you just graduated from a school that has 40,000 people in it. Here's the message you sent. Hi, my name's Tim Sackett. I'm a recent graduate of Michigan State University, and I'm really just trying to expand my network. We love alumni, right? We love to connect with alumni and help alumni. It gives us a great feeling. And so it's really building out that network. And also then using your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles. They have networks of professional people and they can connect you. But we always want to try to do it on our own. Mm. And time and time again, I almost, almost monthly, I have conversations with young people that they're just like, well, you know, my dad's a pipe fitter. He doesn't know anybody. Your dad knows hundreds of people <laughs> who know thousands of people who are like, you really yeah. have to rely. You never know where it's going to come you from. You never know where it's going to go. And never be scared to ask mom and dad for help. And we yeah. just want to do it on our own. Yeah. 
Well, it's been so great having you on the podcast. Thanks for Thank having you me. so much. How do we find yeah. what, you, what you write? Let's, how do you find your organization? Your yep. So, so. timsackett.com. If you just put Tim Sackett in Google, I'm like the first 100 pages. There's a, there's a truck driver chaplain out of Minneapolis that's also Tim Sackett, <laughs> but I'm not him. It'd be great if I was. I stole all of his SEO. Um, and then my company is hrutech.com, so it's pretty easy to find that. So. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.